everybody, and welcome to episode 23 of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. My name is Michael Bradley, and this is a show where each and every episode we look at a Superman and Batman story from throughout the years, with those team-ups being chosen mostly at random and mostly from the pages of World's Finest Comics. This time, we are once again traveling back to the 1970s for another trip to Planet Haney, because this time we are looking at World's Finest Comics number 232. And believe me, this is probably one of the most unmistakably Planet Haney stories we've had on the show to date. According to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, the issue was released on June 12, 1975. It's got 32 pages and a September 1975 cover date for the price of 25 cents. Our cover is by Ernie Chan and John Conan and shows our heroes, Superman and Batman, grimacing in pain as they lie in beds, their heads connected by thick wires. Above them, we see a looming figure emerging from what appears to be a dream shared by the world's finest and preparing to attack our heroes with a sword. Even though both Superman and Batman look a bit scrawny, it's, a, it's an intriguing cover, and the coloring really makes it pop. Um, if I saw this on the stands, I'd probably pick it up and thumb through it, if only to find out who this menacing figure is and how Superman and Batman are sharing the same dream. So it does what it's supposed to do, make you want to read the issue. Turning inside, credits for our 18-page story are Art by Dick Dillon and John Calnan, story by Bob Haney. And of course, though it's not listed on the story itself, the issue was edited by Murray Boltonoff. The universe holds a thousand terrors, a million mysteries, but none so overwhelming as the threats Superman and Batman must now confront when the countdown begins on human life itself with the telltale ticking of the Dream Bomb. While patrolling the streets of Gotham City in broad daylight, Batman is attacked by a robed swordsman the same one from the cover. Batman goes on the defensive, but as the fight moves across a bridge, the swordsman charges, soon getting the upper hand on the Dark Knight. As Batman falls to the ground, however, Bruce Wayne awakens from what has been a nightmare. Disturbed and confused about the dream, which is the third such he's had in recent nights. Shaking off the vision, Bruce suits up and goes out on patrol, but is further disturbed when he catches a glimpse of a man he thinks is Whitey Lewis a criminal he put away for murder years ago, but who has since died in prison. Batman is unable to catch up to the figure and punches the wall in frustration, just as Superman shows up and confides in his friend that he's been experiencing a recurring nightmare. As the two heroes compare notes, they realize they've been having the exact same dream and decide to investigate. Batman pays a visit to the Gotham Institute of Dream Research, but gets no clues, save for the fact that the research subjects at the clinic have all stopped dreaming. But as Batman leaves the clinic, he comes face to face with the swordsman. Part 2. What Ghosts Be These? Batman charges forward as the figure stands on a bridge, the exact same one from the dream, and breaks his sword over his knee. He introduces himself as Chang Shi, a humble monk and director of the Inner Peace Foundation. He explains that he breaks the sword as an annual sacred rite to show that peace will prevail over violence. After getting a tour of the monk's foundation, Batman confides in him about his and Superman's shared dreams 
and the monk promises to meditate and try to find an answer. As Batman resumes his patrol, he comes across a troubled fairy and once again catches a glimpse of a dead man. This time, Gotham City Police Officer Phil Moss, who was killed in the line of duty two years prior. The Dark Knight again catches up with Superman, who tells him he also had a strange encounter running into Gloria Jones, a fellow reporter who died covering a fire. Before the world's finest can puzzle much about the latest twist, though, Batman gets a call about an out-of-control crowd in another part of the city. Our heroes fly to the rescue, and Superman breaks open a nearby water reservoir, dousing the crowd and bringing them back to their senses. People in the crowd tell our heroes they can't explain why they attacked each other, save for the fact that they've been unable to get a good night's sleep. Batman and Superman then return to the sleep clinic, determined to get to the bottom of their shared dreams about a man they didn't even know existed, as well as why others have stopped dreaming. The Doctor connects both heroes to a dream machine, and as they awake, they are shocked to find out that not only did they again share the dream, but that this time, people in the crowd were the same dead associates that they'd recently seen alive. Part 3. The Snarl of Dachiri Realizing the bridge is a key fixture in the dream, Batman says the bridge is a replica of a larger bridge in the Asian country of Tongbuk. Superman flies around the globe to check it out, and this is where things get weird. Like, really weird. Superman encounters another monk who tells him that to get the secret of the bridge, he has to simultaneously spin all 100 wheels on this prayer wheel thing. Being super fast, Superman is able to do so, learns the secret, and realizes he has to get back to Gotham City to warn Batman. However, meanwhile, Batman realizes the Gotham Bridge is gone, and a custodian tells him that workmen came around dawn to dismantle it. He goes to talk to Chang Shi, but finds the foundation is now an importing company, and then gets hit on the back of the head. When he comes to, he's in the presence of Chang Shi who tells him that he stole the bridge because it serves as a link between this world and the world of the dead. Apparently, when people die, their souls continue to dream, and the dream energy from the dead has been building up for centuries, ultimately becoming so massive that the dead have started coming back to life. Cheng Shi made a pact with something he calls Dagiri, the snow devil, in order to get the secret of the prayer wheels, which is how he learned about the bridge. He ends up getting kicked out of his monastery because of the pact, which is what led him to Gotham City and gifting the smaller bridge to the city. When the dead started to return, the dream energy focused on Superman and Batman, which is what caused their shared dream, and Chang Shi had to move the bridge to keep them from figuring it out. Batman is then attacked by a snow leopard in a horde of sword-wielding undead. He fends them off until the bridge begins to crumble thanks to a timely intervention by Superman. As the bridge is destroyed, the undead vanish, and our heroes note that Chang-Chi has been mauled to death by the leopard, likely for failing his master Dagiri. Superman reveals the bridge only worked when the snow leopard was nearby, which seems kind of obtuse at this point, but everything is tied up in a neat and tidy bow, except for the fact that Superman and Batman don't know why the dream energy focused on them, but they just kind of shrugged that off, which means that this is the end. This was an interesting one, wasn't it? I honestly have no idea where to start on this one or or really even exactly what to say beyond what the heck did I just read. Um, 
you know, it started out fine and, and actually pretty strong, but then suddenly we're in what feels like a, a David Lynchian acid trip gone really, really wrong. And that doesn't mean the story was bad. It just it feels like the story took an abrupt left turn around the start of part three. And, and not really even a left turn, really, because the major revelations are all hinted about or foreshadowed in the first two parts. So, you know, it's not like Haney just got tired of, of telling the story he started out telling and then decided to do something else. But I think what it might be is that there is just so much exposition crammed into that last seven pages that it just left my head spinning. So really, I guess the beef with this story is more that it just suffers from a pacing problem, in that the info dump in part three really should have been spread out a little more throughout the issue. Um, Or maybe even, you know, taking the story and spreading it over two issues would have been better, but the problem with that is I don't think it really needed to be two issues. I think they just needed to use the space they had in a more efficient manner. According to Mike's Amazing World, Haney wrote more than 950 stories for DC Comics. And I've not read all of them, obviously, but from what I have read, I kind of get the feeling that Haney didn't do much by way of drafts or rewriting. It feels like he just barreled in, wrote what he wanted to write and how he wanted to write it, charging through the script like a bull in a Chinese shop. And as is pretty well known, Haney didn't care about continuity or the multiple Earths. And while he does have a very strong sense of character, I think he was more than willing to throw that the, the standard depiction of a character out the window in favor of telling an entertaining story. And while that very no-nonsense approach to storytelling allowed him to crank out a lot of stories and a lot of just balls-to-the-wall fun and imaginative and, and outright zany stories, I think that that same approach kind of came back to bite the stories when, like in this one, he had to cram in a lot at the end when he charged in maybe a little too fast. But still, overall, like I said, this isn't a bad story, and in fact, the uh, pacing issues aside, I like this one a whole lot. It was very different. Well, maybe not very different, but it was definitely different from your typical Superman and Batman story, you know, with the shared dreams and the, the mystical aspects. And, and while I'm talking about the mystical aspects, it's interesting, just, just a little uh, nitpick, and I'm not sure who would really be to blame for this. I guess it would be the letterer. But the third chapter is titled The Snarl of Dachiri, D-A hyphen C-H-R, excuse me, D-A hyphen C-H-I-R-I. But in the story, the, uh, the character's name is Dagiri, D-A-G-H-I-R-I. So a little snafu there between the uh, the actual story and the, the inner title. But anyway, um, the story was very Haney-esque in, in the good Haney way, uh, without the bad Haneyisms that we've seen in, in other issues where Superman comes off like a jerk or the story feels like Haney wanted to uh, write a Batman story but had to work Superman into it as well. And to be fair, Superman really isn't a factor in the story. Um, we we get a little interaction between him and Batman at the beginning. Superman appears again briefly in the middle, and then he's there at the end. So really, really, I, I guess this is just a Batman story with Superman kind of shoehorned in. But 
unlike others we've looked at, it didn't feel like Superman was being shoehorned in. It's just the story more naturally focused on Batman rather than Superman. Uh, but I did like that early in the story we saw Batman questioning himself and getting frustrated. Um, I, I like seeing that human side of characters while at the same time not diminishing the heroic side of them, which uh, sometimes happens in other stories. Overall, though, you know, if you can get past the dense info dump in that last third of the story, yeah, I would definitely give this one a thumbs up. Artistically, Dylan and Kalnan were both solid. You know, both Superman and Batman look great, and there's plenty of action, and, and even the scenes where... Uh, it's basically just two or more people standing around talking. They're varied enough that it keeps the art from becoming stagnant and repetitive. So pretty much the similar comments I've had about other Dick Dillon stories covered on the show. But that's it for The Dream Bomb. Definitely a story that is not without its problems, but I would put it among the better of the Bob Haney stories covered on the show to date. Even though it wasn't uh, the crazy zany stuff that we might be expecting when it comes to Bob Haney. Uh, but right now I'm going to take a break, play a couple of promos, and then I'll be back to talk about the other features in the book and what else was on the stands. It started in November 2010, when one guy decided it was time to show the denizens of the internet that there was more to Superman's adventures from the 70s and early 80s than Alan Moore and Kryptonite Nevermore. Now, three and a half years later, that mission continues. This is Superman. Superman. In the Bronze Age. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and every week I shine the spotlight on this long-overlooked era on Superman in the Bronze Age. Join in the fun at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Tangent, an abrupt change of course. Tangent, to go off suddenly in another direction or on a different line of thought. Tangent, a comic event featuring brand new characters with very familiar names. I'm waking up to action dust. I wipe my brow 
Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Find it bi-weekly on iTunes and at greatcrypton.com. In the Tangent Universe, you only know the names. Given that this is a Bronze Age story, I'm sure you all know the refrain by now, so say it with me. This issue has not been reprinted. The Superman and Batman story is the only feature in the book, but there are some ads that are worth taking note of, beginning with the inside front cover, which is a hostess ad starring... Shazam! Or more specifically, the one who holds the power of Shazam, Captain Marvel, as the world's mightiest mortal fights the Minerva Menace. And basically... Aunt Minerva decides to take over the world by using a mind control machine to convince kids that they don't like Hostess Twinkies. Twinkies, world domination, you can see the connection, right? Anyway, she kidnaps Billy Batson for no discernible reason, who then says the magic word, turns into Captain Marvel, and convinces kids to think for themselves by eating some delicious Hostess Twinkies because they're golden sponge cake and sweet, creamy filling, nothing could be more delicious than a hostess Twinkie. And as the villains hang their head in shame, knowing their plan is defeated because kids love delicious hostess Twinkies far too much to be brainwashed against it, we're reminded, as always, that you get a big delight in every bite of hostess Twinkies. So, my takeaway here is that you should always think for yourself by doing exactly what the paid advertisement tells you to. Next up is an ad for Slim Jims. And I'm pretty sure that that was the wrong Macho Man clip. It's, it's, It's really hard to find good help these days. But that's followed by your typical hodgepodge pages and bodybuilding ads that no one cares about. There's a two-page house ad where you can order several of DC's Famous First and Limited Collector's Edition tabloid books. And all the ones listed here, except for the Bible, which was actually Limited Collector's Edition C36, I think, are mostly reprints, as they hadn't gotten around to producing original stories for the tabloids yet. Um, But still, the, the cool thing about these is seeing that Golden Age and Silver Age artwork at tabloid size. Um, I, I just really appreciate that, even though you know they reprinted the first appearance of Superman and uh, one or two other Golden Age stories, and I, I really like seeing uh, Joe Schuster's artwork and, and the, uh, the, the Schuster Studio guys, their artwork at tabloid size, even if it is a little bit tainted, because when these were reprinted, they stripped Siegel and Schuster's byline off the, uh, off the stories, because this was when... Siegel and Schuster were not getting along with DC Comics, but uh, but after that is more hodgepodge and junk ads, and then another house ad, the top of which is a subscription ad, but the bottom plugs an upcoming four-part series from DC Comics, The Legend of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, by Joe Orlando, Jerry Conway, and Nestor Redondo. And this is something that Rob Kelly recently brought up when he appeared on an episode of Michael Bailey's Views from the Long Box. Uh, basically, they were working on this. They promoted it, obviously, but it was never completed or published, which 
it really is a shame because some of the pages have surfaced and they are uh, some of the completed pages have surfaced and and they are really beautiful um, and I don't know why DC would you know be so far along that they would be promoting something if it wasn't ever going to come out but it's just one of the mysteries of comic books I guess uh, but the last ad worth mentioning is a full page ad for a new series Fantasy's Most Bizarre Hero now has his own macabre magazine. Man Bat, winging his way in September. Courtesy of DC's latest creative combo, Jerry Conway, Steve Ditko, and Al Milgram. Don't get too excited, though. The series only lasted two issues, and only one was by Conway and Ditko. The other featured the Ten-Eyed Man, though, so there's that. But now it's time to head on over to Mike's Amazing World of Comics at mikesamazingworld.com for a look at what else was on the stands. And first up is the Joker number three, featuring a guest appearance by The Creeper. Speaking of Steve Ditko, The Creeper, everybody. Which, I've actually never read this comic, but it had to have been something that people were... It had to be an idea that people were kicking themselves for not thinking of sooner. Uh, the Batman line of titles grew with the launch of Batman Family Number 1, which, unlike Superman Family, would be a title that was composed of mostly reprints in the beginning, which could explain why it never really hit the same level of success as Superman Family. Uh, Marty Pasco writes the Justice League of America for the, for the very first time in issue number 122 of their title. And we've also got OMAC Number 7, which is the penultimate title of that, or penultimate issue, excuse me, of that title. And it's one of Jack Kirby's Stranger Creations, though one I kind of enjoyed when I read the reprints a few years ago. Um, looking at the list of books here, Kirby is just all over the place, writing and illustrating four books with OMAC, Commandy, Our Fighting Forces, uh, there's the Losers strip in that book, and then there's another book that I'll get to in just a minute. And he's also illustrating Justice, Inc. beneath a Denny O'Neill script. Um, despite the huge output, though, Kirby was gone from D.C. Um, I don't want to say for good because he, he did more work for them in the 80s, but Kirby's major output for D.C. would come to an end within six months. So, you know, for all intents and purposes, we're nearing the end of, of Kirby at D.C. here, even though he's still cranking out a huge amount of work. Um, Brave and the Bold, number 121, features Batman teaming with the Metal Men by Bob Haney and Jim Aparo. So you know that's going to be awesome. And neither Superman or Action Comics are all that much to talk about. So the last thing I see here is First Issue Special, number 6, featuring Jack Kirby's Dingbats of Danger Street. Yeah, I'm a fan. Don't judge me. But that's it. As always, I want to thank you all very much for listening, and I would also like to apologize for the lack of episodes for the past couple weeks. I have had a lot going on lately, both in my personal life and in, in podcasting, and that's resulted in less time for focusing on this show. But I recently had a couple guest appearances on other shows, as well as some other podcasting efforts that I definitely want to mention. First, I was on episode 114 of Just One of the Guys, which is hosted by former and no doubt future guest of this show, Sean Engel. 
And on that episode, we looked at a couple Green Lantern-related issues, including an Elseworlds. And I I do love Elseworlds and imaginary stories. And uh, I think we've only had, I guess, one imaginary story on this particular show, but there will definitely be more coming down the road. Uh, but podcasting with Sean is always a blast, and Sean puts out a great show even when I'm not there, which I know, I know, might be hard to believe, but it's true, so definitely check that out. Uh, more recently, I was invited on to talk about the character of Steel in episode 18 of The Armored Hero Steel, a John Henry Irons podcast, and that's a show hosted by Matthew Apps, where he's doing a month-by-month look at the character of Steel. And not only is Matt looking at Steele's own monthly title from the mid-90s, but he's also taking brief looks at other appearances the character made and what else was happening in the Superman family at the time. Um, He has a segment called The Steel Files, where he talks about the characters and uh, creators that are related or or have some connection to Steele and gives some background on them. When I was on the show, he talked about Dennis Janke who was uh, the inker on Man of Steel when Steel was created, and then he, I think he inked uh, a few issues of Steel's own title, too. Uh, but anyway, be sure to check out The Armored Hero Steel, a John Henry Irons podcast. Um, Steel is one of my favorite characters who isn't Superman or Batman, and I'm really glad that Matt's doing the work of putting on a show about him, because uh, as I actually told Matt, I think off the air, if I had the time to do it like it needs to be done, I would have done it. But thankfully, Matt is doing it. So, it's a win for everybody. But I also recently recorded a guest appearance on another podcast. And I'm not going to tell you which one because I don't want to ruin the surprise. But that should be out in uh, either late July or early August. So, be sure to keep an eye on the Facebook and Twitter feeds for this show. And I will be sure to post a message when that comes out. Uh, And I'll probably mention it here on the show too, but in case that falls through the cracks because of my recording schedule, definitely keep an eye on the Facebook and Twitter feeds. Um, And likewise, while we haven't recorded yet, I've been invited on two other shows that will likely be happening uh, sometime either before the fall or in early fall. So again, keep your eyes out for that. And if that's not enough, I've actually started a new podcast. Um, You likely heard the promo for it earlier this episode, and definitely in a previous episode, but the show is called Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. And I'm producing that with the previously mentioned Sean Engel, and together we are looking at the Tangent Universe events that DC published in the mid-90s. These were two series of books that were... The project was spearheaded by Dan Jurgens, and the books were written and illustrated by a host of the, the finest comic creators from the time, where they took the DC Universe and recreated it from the ground up, creating all new characters based on only the names of existing DC properties. Uh, by the time you hear this, there will be two episodes of that show out, and the books we cover in those do a lot to lay the groundwork and the foundation for the world and and set up the universe. So if you like what I do here or if you like what Sean does on his podcasts, I definitely want to encourage you to check out Parallel Lines. Uh, You can find the episodes at greatcrypton.com along with this show or there's a separate feed on iTunes. All you got to do is search for Parallel Lines in the podcast section of the the iTunes store and it should come up. 
one of the first results, because I don't think there are many other podcasts called Parallel Lines. But because of these extra podcasting efforts, as well as some personal issues and some family issues, and the fact that I'm currently training for my first 5K race that'll be happening at the end of September, it's become somewhat more difficult to keep this show on track. But don't worry, the show's not ending. It's just going to be adjusting for a while. The next three episodes of the show will come out as planned. Um, Next week will be a mailbag episode. The week after that will be episode 24. And then the week after that, we'll be having an unplanned party for episode 25, as I'm joined by a guest for a classic Superman and Batman story that I am really looking forward to covering. Uh, But after that, though, through the end of September, the show will be shifting to a bi-weekly schedule. Uh, And this will allow me to uh, put more focus on the non-podcasting parts of my life, all the while not putting out an, an inferior product here because I'm not able to put as much effort into each episode. And plus, with luck, it will get me a little bit ahead on this show because in October, just as a tease for you know what's coming down the pike, I'll be starting a special 10-episode series on this show, and I would prefer to not have any breaks in that. So, again, apologies for anyone who's disappointed by this change. Uh, the good news is it's only temporary and will be better for me, which therefore is better for the show and better for you, my dear listeners. But as I said, next week will be the show's second mailbag episode. And I haven't gotten as many emails for the most recent episodes, and you've still got time to write in, so pull up your email, get to writing, because I would really love to hear from you and really love to be able to read your email next week. Uh, But that's it for me this time, though. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. Goodbye. listening to Superman and Batman, hosted by me, Michael Bradley. Feedback can be sent to michael at greatcrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at greatcrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed so that you never miss an episode. If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I'd love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman and Batman is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many great Superman-related podcasts. Be sure to pay them a visit at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and both characters are copyright DC Comics. For more about Superman's creators, be sure to visit my blog, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, at greatcrypton.com slash Schuster, 
where I commemorate the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I want to thank you again very much for listening and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. This episode's closing music was the Eurythmics' Sweet Dreams Are Made of This, from their 1983 album of the same name. Travel the world in the seven seas, everybody's looking for something. See what I did there? Eh? Eh? Uh. And whether that thing is music, such as Sweet Dreams, or not, you can bet that it's available for purchase at Amazon.com. So if you'd like to get this song or the album, the best way to do that is to head on over to TwoTrueFreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com banner. Pick up the CD, digital download, or pretty much anything else, and Two True Freaks gets a little cut from every purchase. It won't cost you anything extra, but does help ensure a steady stream of fine Two True Freaks-related podcasts. <laughs>